Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and following up on our previous episode about data breaches and cybersecurity in healthcare, you will be listening about GDPR, a general data protection regulation, rights users have regarding their data, and the upcoming MDR, Medical Device Regulation, which takes effect in May 2020. In general, medical devices are products or equipment intended for medical use. These include long-term corrective contact lenses, surgical lasers, defibrillators, hearing aids, diagnostic ultrasound machines, and hip joint implants, to name just a few. There are three classes of medical devices, class 1, class 2A and 2B, and class 3. Classification depends on the intended use, where medical devices in class 1 have the lowest perceived risk for health, those in class 3 the highest risk. The upcoming MDR also defines software, which is intended for medical purposes, to be a medical device. I spoke with Jovan Stevovic, co-founder and CEO of Chino.io, which stands for Cloud Health Interoperability Platform. Enjoy the show and do find the recap on our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. The direct link to the recap is in the show notes, where you will also find some useful links of materials from Chino.io. Jovan, for a brief introduction, in one of your posts on Medium, you wrote that you were always interested in health data security, which is why in 2014 you founded Chino.io. Can you share the background of the story where the interest for health data security comes from? It's quite a specific thing. Yes, sure. I started with my PhD, actually my master and then PhD with a company in in Trento in uh, northern Italy. Um, I started working on different projects in healthcare and one of the most important topics and common for every project was privacy and security. Then I started my PhD researching how to uh, invent new methods to share medical records. Then I started my experience in US, in HP Labs in California, when I met great researchers and also worked with them on this topic, how to share medical records between Europe and US. And I got passionate and uh, Chino, which is an acronym uh, for Cloud Health Interoperability Platform, was actually created during my PhD work back in 2012, I think. Yeah, I think it was 2012. And uh, later on, when, when I started uh, this entrepreneurial activity, we, I just continued with my, with my colleague Stefano this thread of work, let's say, on privacy and security in healthcare. And we, and we founded Chino.io, the startup that simplified a lot what I was doing before, uh, because, you know, during the PhD, I was doing very complex stuff. We simplified a lot and then started a service for uh, application developers uh, in digital health space to help them on security and privacy topics. 
you mentioned that you were dealing with the exchange of um, data or health, or health records between Europe and the US. What were the findings regarding the possibilities? And, you know, we talk about the uh, chain interchangeability or interoperability of systems inside the US or uh, in the European countries, but not between the US or other continents. From scientific point of view, I was researching methods and difference in regulations and how to provide a, a platform that can support both regulations on both continents. But then that, that was in 2010 up until 2014. That, that was kind of a visionary work. Uh, HP Labs in California, they were interested in that because they are a global company and they want to, to do research in the, that space. Of course, again, visionary, we found new protocols, new processes, new technologies to share these de records. But at the end, you know, the practice and, and the, the, the truth is that we are struggling in connecting single hospitals in, in uh, at least in Europe, but also that's also very true in the US. I mean, the interoperability still is a huge issue, but it's not a technical issue. That's, that was my main conclusion after my PhD. And that's why I also started a, a startup that focuses on something more specific. So helping application developers out there developing single apps or single services, but not really working in this domain of connecting hospitals and big institutions. Because that's uh, that's not really, I mean, what I discovered is not really a technical issue, um, but it's uh, mostly a political, financial problem that has to be solved by by larger organizations and and by public authorities. Let's clarify some terms that are used when it comes to data protection. What's the difference between cyber cyber security? data security and data protection or data privacy? Well, the, yeah, it's a good question, actually. There are, you know, the, those are different topics and, and different, uh, different categories. The general data protection regulation, GDPR, focuses on data protection. Um, the, the most important advancement that GDPR introduced is the concept of that users, they, they have the subject rights, data subject rights. So they have some uh, rights that can exercise uh, towards data controllers and data processors. So companies taking their data, storing their data. Though this is data protection because uh, those companies, they are obliged to protect the data and provide to users functionalities like right to be forgotten, data portability, uh, right to object, right to restrict the processing, and so on and so forth. Data privacy is more uh, like is considered more like a human rights. Uh, we have seen uh, recently with Edward Snowden, Cambridge Analytica scandals, violation of privacy. But this doesn't this privacy violation doesn't mean the violation of data protection or data security, because privacy is you know when people Uh, monitor you too much. That's the privacy violation. And then data security is uh, typically focused on data encryption, storage, management of data, while cybersecurity is something much broader, includes many, many subcategories of, of security. It can be related to application security, to penetration tests, to firewalls, to cyber attacks, 
And there are many companies, for example, that do cybersecurity, but they don't do data security or data protection at all because they focus on some specific cybersecurity threats. In medical space, we have seen, for example, a big issue for medical devices uh, and IoT space because those devices are difficult to protect. They can be cyber attacks to pacemakers. And again, you know, this is connected to protocols and how these devices work, but not related to actually data security or data protection at all. Uh, these topics all uh, intersect, right? And it's sometimes maybe hard to differentiate between them if you're not an expert. For example, I just read that uh, a pharmacy in the UK was fined £275,000 because they were not storing documents uh, from patients properly. Um, the papers were uh, water damaged and were not held securely as the area could be accessed by residents living in a nearby flat. This is basically an issue that would fall under data security, but the fine was under GDPR. Yes, right. So I would say, you know, from this analysis, very, very funny case, by the way, that um, this is malpractice related to uh, storing and, and holding this data. So data security and data protection, because they didn't provide some guarantees to their users, their their customers to protect this data and to provide them these functionalities like data, you know, data subject rights that I was mentioning. So I would say, you know, this falls in this category and therefore, yes, GDPR is the relevant law to, to provide a fine to, to, to people that don't follow those practices, yes. We often read about the fines under GDPR. Two questions here. One is, um, what was the highest fine uh, that you came across in your research or just, you know, daily... Um, uh, daily looking at uh, at the uh, problems that are arising and uh, the second is do people actually execute their rights that they got through GDPR we observed initially very very huge threats because GDPR promises uh, 4% of uh, turnover, global turnover. So for big companies, this can be a huge amount of money. But actually what we have seen in the last uh, year were the first fines, and some of them were quite big, not at that level because n no companies were uh, found to be really that much guilty in, in processing the data. But man, some huge fines happened in uh, Germany and Britain, um, in Germany, we have seen uh, fines, for example, for uh, property owners, uh, big companies owning properties, they were fined a lot, and tech operators were fined a lot of uh, money. And in this case, for example, a, a tech operator was the first also um, somehow case in which a, a person uh, triggered this uh, lawsuit um, because uh, his privacy was violated uh, you know, as a summary, in 2019, we have seen first um, first fines, some of them quite big, some of them quite small. Um, in healthcare, we had a few fines. Still, I, I perceive that the companies, they, they can have the risk 
of being fined not proportionally because there is still the, the need to harmonize data protection authorities across across Europe to say, okay, this is really bad, this is, you know, medium violation, this is a small violation. So if I understand you correctly, uh, the consequences uh, of compliance differ from country to country because of different uh, regulators in charge. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's the case. I would say they differ also by single regions in, in you know, in, in single states, for example, like in Germany, a federal state, or or uh, they they differ from sector to sector somehow. I, I, I have this feeling that, for example, these cases in Germany, the, the fines were not really proportionate in some cases uh, just because the, the, the company was somehow, you know, perceived as a bad guy out there. So I, I feel that there, there are still, uh, yeah, that we still lack harmonization across Europe, but also across, uh, you know, in, in single states for specific violations to say, okay, this violation brings me to this risk and this fine, this violation to that. Um, there are still there is still lack of rules, let's say, clear rules. Right before GDPR was implemented, um, I had a discussion with a lawyer uh, because at that time, you know, everybody was wondering in 2018, how is this going to look like? Will companies comply? And uh, he was a lawyer in Germany and he said that in Germany, companies are very well prepared because uh, data privacy and data protection has already been taken very seriously, you know, even before culturally. So from that perspective, um, what's your estimate? Has anything changed with GDPR or not really? How is the landscape looking in digital health uh, in Germany in that perspective? Uh, my experience work by working with uh, a lot of startups, SMEs and some larger companies across Europe uh, all European states. We work with companies from Portugal to Romania, Ukraine, so all, all really, all countries to Finland and Italy and so on. Uh, is that there is not really uh, the best guy and the, and the worst guy out there. Uh, it really depends from company to company. It really depends from um, this uh, personal, you know, sensitivity of people to this topic. Um, in Germany, it's not true that. Uh, companies are more prepared. I I just think they are more conservative. But when they, but they, you know, they realize that they need to do something with this data. They they need to innovate. And then when they face this reality, they still struggle like the others. Uh, small companies tend to you know to skip some rules at the beginning. But then this is uh, typically a technical depth. So when you when you develop an application for patients and you you just keep some requirements at the beginning and you want to implement them later on, then this is a technical debt. And I have seen many companies having these technical debts. They had to fix their applications later on. We have seen, for example, in, in Berlin, a couple of startups that ended up on newspapers uh, with uh, for violating privacy in a really simple and really, you know, uh, I don't know, yeah, just simple and ignorant way because they use some tools that they shouldn't use. So 
really basic basic requirement. Could you perhaps be a little more uh, a graphic in the sense that uh, you could give us some examples? What are the most common uh, problems or questions customers turn to you for? And what are the most common uh, issues that you identify? Well, you know, the main issue is that there is ignorance about these uh, requirements. So there, there are law, there is GDPR law, but then what it really means uh, for companies developing digital health solutions, nobody knows really except you know lawyers and security experts like like we are so we the first challenge for us is educating those entrepreneurs and companies uh, what they really need to do to to make their application compliant the first thing they start asking is what data do we collect do we, what do we need to do for the data we collect and frequently they try to anonymize the data but in a way that is wrong so they, they just remove name and surname and they say, okay, our data is anonymous, and, but they still, for example, collect uh, email of patients. And they, you know, the first challenge for us is saying, okay, if you do that, it's not, you know, it's not legal. It's not, it's not okay. So this is the first step with, uh, let's say, smaller companies, entrepreneurs. Um, while with larger companies, they, I see they, they struggle with the processes because they have lawyers internally and they have quality experts internally, but bringing them, them together and bringing this new uh, knowledge of data protection in cloud space for health applications, that's the main challenge. For example, we have seen, uh, as I mentioned, two companies in Berlin uh, recently appeared on newspaper for violating uh, privacy. They used both uh, some analytic tools some tools that track which uh, apps are downloaded in which countries, uh, on which phone screen, on which phone operator, and so on and so forth. Those analytical tools were violating their privacy policy, basically, and their consent practices. So those companies were violating privacy for, for some, you know, I would say stupid, uh, very simple requirements. And again, you know, what, what is missing is a clear knowledge uh, that every single tool that you use for your application, you need to check the privacy policy in terms of conditions of that tool, and you need to follow a process. First, you need to take the consent of users and then use those tools to collect this data and inform them before collecting the data. So they didn't follow that simple step, and, you know, they ended up on, on newspapers with a with a very bad, you know, return of image, um, reputation, and so on. Uh, so I will say, you know, education is the main challenge. To which extent are you noticing that consent of users is just trying to be forced upon users through terms and conditions and privacy policies? Often feels that as a user, you don't really have a choice uh, in t when it comes to data processing and of course, we don't know how data is stored. That's uh, for the providers to take care of. Still, privacy policies and terms of conditions are very complex. So we need to work on uh, forcing companies to simplify them, to simplify the language so people can understand them in few bullet points and understand how this data will be processed and collected. Um, there are some fun, funny statistics and that the Facebook privacy policy is the most complex piece of, of text, even complex than Shakespeare. The complexity is, is a huge problem. Then consent 
should be, you know, explicit, should be simple, should be understandable by people, but not many companies are applying those requirements in defining the consent, you know, the checkboxes that you check when you, when you download an app or, or start using an app. So, but we, we need to work on that. First of all, we need to implement those in, in properly. As I said, you know, those companies that were on newspaper, they didn't implement that process properly. So first, consent has to be asked, and then the consent has to be shown and recorded properly. And we have seen, for example, in, with uh, mobile phones in the last years with Android and iOS, they implemented an, a simpler, smarter, better consent uh, management. So every time you now you, you start using an app, it asks you for this specific consent, for this specific feature to record your phone, to record your camera and so on. When you start using, that's much better than it was before. GDPR is very broad. It doesn't refer only to healthcare, uh, but we're talking about healthcare and you're also helping companies be compliant with HIPAA. So just briefly, um, can you outline a little bit the difference between GDPR and HIPAA? The main difference is that GDPR is generic, as, this, as the name says. Uh, so it affects everything, every single sector uh, out there, and it defines general principles. While HIPAA was uh, was defined in, in 96 and evolved over time, defining very precise requirements for healthcare. is a specific healthcare law. So the difference is basically that in U.S., uh, we have much more knowledge, much more established market for, market for um, service providers, uh, lawyers, consultants who can assist companies to develop uh, secure uh, applications. I was recently talking with some startups uh, that, that, that created their applications and startups in U.S., and they said, You know, it's much more established market. Uh, there are higher prices, but whoever works in this space, including investors, they know what has to be done to bring an application to the market in a proper way and establish, and establish relationships and commercial you know, activities with all stakeholders, hospitals, insurance, payers, and so on. While in Europe, GDPR is still generic and we still see fragmentation, problems for developers, but problems also for bodies that needs to uh, engage with the developers and service providers. There is still work to be done on GDPR to make it more concrete for healthcare spe specific sector and to create specific rules on data security and, and data protection. Uh, if I go back a little bit on the issue around terms of services and consent and privacy policies, Let's say you're a user that really wants to use an app and you actually take time to read the privacy policy and terms of use and there's something you don't agree with. What can you actually do so you can potentially still use the app? That's an interesting question and refers to a specific requirement to consent, for example, which has to be um, incremental somehow. So the, the main feature of an app, for example, let's say an app is... Uh, for diabetes control. Uh, the main feature of this, this app should be always available even though you don't accept to be, for example, profiled, to, to be subject to marketing activities, marketing campaigns, and so on. So basically, the consent should be granular, should have different checkboxes, and one should be mandatory, for example, service provisioning, 
but the others should be optional. And if the service provider of this application doesn't allow you to do to use the app without allow you know without uh, accepting profiling, marketing, and so on and so forth, you should be able to ask to this provider to update their consent and potentially to trigger a legal, you know, legal process, legal lawsuit against this provider because this provider is not uh, following GDPR. GDPR says that the consent has to be granular and the main functionality should be available without, you know, being profiled and, and subject to marketing. That's a good news. The only question, I guess, is how many people actually do that? Well, in this case, yeah, I agree totally that this probably nobody triggered this requirement in the last year or, or two year or half of GDPR. But uh, I think many people trigger the, the request for right to be forgotten. You can find online, you know, templates. You just need to fill this template and if you, you, you can send it by post or by uh, certified uh, emails that we have, for example, in Italy uh, to, the, to the company. And they are obliged within 60 days, if I remember correctly, to, to delete all your data. And if they still uh, send you some emails or contact you later on, you can basically sue them. So I think this uh, right to be forgotten has been requested by many, many people in the last, uh, you know, 18 months or so of GDPR. This year, a new law is supposed to go into effect, uh, and that is medical device regulation. Uh, what are your expectations regarding the the law? Many organizations are pushing for a delay in putting the law in action. I guess when a new law comes in, there's always going to be somebody that's going to say that the industry is not ready. It was probably the same with GDPR. So what are your expectations when it comes to MDR? We have created some marketing material that people can find on our website uh, that you can download. And we have seen that many, many people are interested in this topic, also in digital health, because MDR affects now uh, digital health, every, every, every kind of application in healthcare space. What we have seen is that somehow for MDR, people are more prepared or more aware that this is a huge obstacle in terms of certifications. I think when people uh, hear that you need to, to have a certification, then they are more interested in talking to consultants and understand what is the process, what, is, what are the costs, what are the efforts for this certification. Since GDPR is not a certification, what people did initially, they just fixed their privacy policy in terms of conditions. Now we see more awareness and more, more prepared on, on considering GDPR from scratch, from the beginning in, in their applications. What are the main changes that are coming in for medical device uh, uh, companies with this new regulation? The most important aspect is that MDR extends the scope. So many companies, many applications that they didn't need any certification, they now need a certification class 2 or sometimes class 3 medical, medical device according to MDR. And previously they were maybe M class 1, so no certification, just self-certification. MDR extended the scope to digital health products, to software. MDR created also this new brand. So now you are certified as MDR. Um, so, for example, new laws for uh, reimbursement like the DVG in, uh, in Germany, they clearly ask for, for MDR certification. Also MDD, you can also apply with MDD, but you know every, every single application will be MDR certified 
when applying to to DVG from May June this year. It created really, you know, a new a new kind of brand, a new kind of requirement, and uh, everybody will be will be certified according to MDR new rules, uh, higher standards uh, in, in this year. Higher standards in what sense? Well, it it improved a lot. Uh, for example, what are it included the software as part of the medical device. It's called medical device regulation, but actually, you know, it's, it includes everything. So uh, everything related to healthcare software applications, apps, and so on. Whenever an application provides some guidance to, to people, just some feedback, it, it should be certified according to class two, at least, uh, medical, medical device. It mentions several times GDPR and privacy, for example, saying uh, that the, the, the medical application or, or device has to follow also security, data protection, and privacy requirements. Uh, that you know was not really that clear previously. And we have seen, for example, that certification authorities like TOOF or BSI are more and more demanding uh, documentation on privacy and security. We have been invited by some companies to provide coaching to their quality assurance people to, to include in their documentation, in their quality management system, to include requirements on security and privacy and to make sure that their applications are follow GDPR properly. Before we wrap up, just one last question. Um, all eyes are on Germany this year regarding digital health implementation and regulation on national level uh, because a lot has been going on in the last year with your new health minister. What are your expectations? Uh, what's already happening? Can you be vivid with examples as of what kind of telemedicine or other solutions are already in use and what are the upcoming changes that you e expect in practice? What I've seen, and you know, we are in Berlin, so we are really monitoring, we have been monitoring what's really happening together with all the bodies involved. Um, HIH, Bay Farm, and so on. Um, we have seen that you know a huge thing is happening. Uh, previously, all digital health startups um, were struggling with in in finding it in the biggest market in Europe, the German market, the German state. Uh, to, to they were struggling in in finding a commercial formula, <laughs> let's say a reimbursement. What will happen in the next months is that. Um, the rules will be defined, so more precise rules and requirements for companies to apply will be defined. They're, those bodies are still working, and from May onwards, they, the companies will be able to apply and um, be approved to, to get their reimbursement according to this uh, requirement. So we have, we expect that in the next months, everybody will. Uh, try to comply with the requirements on quality and also privacy security defined by this uh, German body and apply to get uh, the approval. Um, I think there will be uh, the, the line for getting the approval will be quite long because many companies will apply. Uh, small but also huge companies are building apps to get uh, to get this uh, approval for reimbursement. So. Everybody is seeing a huge opportunity. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you like the show, do subscribe so you'll be notified about the upcoming episodes automatically and liberating a review wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned.